but he did not travel alone. Word of his impending arrival had gotten out into the public, and Washington's route became similar to a, a triumphal procession as crowds and local officials from the, the towns where he traveled through would come out to meet him as he was on his way to be inaugurated as the first president of the United States. When he came to Philadelphia, he found that they had built arches over the bridge in his honor and had decorated the bridge with evergreens. As he approached the city, they brought him a white horse to ride into town on. Arriving at the Hudson River at New York City, he found they had prepared for him a 47-foot-long ceremonial barge just to ferry him across uh, the Hudson River. It was powered by 13 rowers, one from each state or colony, and he was greeted by a 13-cannon salute. And the governor and other officials met him and escorted him to the president's man- mansion that they had prepared for him. George Washington was head and shoulders above every other man on that day, the single most respected man in the country. And because of the, the high esteem in which he was held, they had gone to great lengths to prepare for him a special welcome. Well, we are anticipating uh, the celebration of Christmas, and as we think about the coming of the Holy One some 2,000 years ago, a strange man appeared on the world scene at that time. He was roughly dressed in camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, If this guy ever invites you to join him for lunch, let me encourage you to think twice before you do, because probably you'll eat locusts and wild honey. John the Baptist came, preparing the way for the Messiah, and he preached a message of repentance, repentance of sin, and he baptized people. And some came to him asking, are you the one that is to come? In other words, are you the Messiah, the promised one? And he said, no, I'm not that one. But there stands one among you whose shoelaces I am not worthy to bend down and untie or tie. We've been talking from 1 Peter. And in thinking about transitioning from 1 Peter and the call to holiness. Um, I've been trying to think in my mind about the connections between this call to holiness and Advent. You remember 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 and 16, we read these words, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
A week or so ago, we talked to you about holiness in Leviticus and how in Leviticus we basically get this picture, these parameters for holiness that involve consecration or, or separation, uh, the idea of being separated away from some things and being separated unto uh, something else, consecration. There's also the idea of obedience. Uh, throughout uh, the book of Leviticus, as we see the picture of holiness there. And then also the idea of being undefiled or pure. Holiness. Now, we read in the Bible, in Revelation chapter 15, verse 4, that only God is holy. In other words, God is the only being that exists in the universe that is holy in himself. He has an underived holiness. And yet, the Bible in verses like uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and the verse that Peter is quoting from tells us that we are called to holiness. When we think about the holiness of God, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of God and His holiness. <clears throat> Some may think of a, 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 the idea of the best that we can understand, but a little bit better, perhaps beyond that. But can I tell you this morning, friends, that the holiness of God is not just the best we can understand, but better. You see, there is nothing like the divine holiness of God. It is the sum total of the perfection of God, A.W. Tozer tells us. It is His transcendent majesty and burning purity. It is His absolute uniqueness and His power to create and sustain goodness in this universe. All of these have their roots in the holiness of God. The holiness of God to us is something perhaps like the sun. Good, but dangerous. The sun to our world is a source of light and heat. Without it, our world would be dark and empty of life. We know that our world... Uh, revolves around the sun, orbits the sun uh, in a certain pathway, and, and it varies in its distance from the sun throughout the course of the year. But if that path around the sun were to get a little bit too far away or a little bit too close, we would be destroyed. You see, there are a number of things about our physical Makeup, the way we are made, that means we cannot survive a close up encounter with the sun. It would be a blinding, burning experience that would destroy us. In a similar way, there are a number of things about our fallen nature that mean we cannot survive too close of an encounter with God in his holiness. You remember the story of Moses when he encountered God at the burning bush. And he turned aside to see why this bush was on fire and yet not burned up. And he 
pauses to look, and as he approaches, he hears a voice that says, don't come any closer and take your shoes off, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Similar to the way you and I could not survive too close of an encounter with the Son, we could not survive, we could not abide too close of an encounter with God in His holiness, and yet God in His love and His act of creative uh, goodness in bringing and sustaining goodness in this world desires relationship and fellowship with His creation. And the summary of the Old Testament book of Leviticus is essentially teaching God's people about when they are impure and how they can be made pure so that it is safe for them to be in proximity to God in His holiness. So how did Israel do with this? How well did they do in following God's instructions? It doesn't take much time to where it seems that Israel is not ever going to learn. In fact, in the very book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 10, we read a story about Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and it says in those verses that they offer strange or unauthorized fire before the Lord. Let me take you there just for a moment, Leviticus chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the result of that was that fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, or I will be set apart as holy, and before all the people, I will be glorified. You see, what had taken place in this story is that Nadab and Abihu had dishonored God by disobeying Him. God had given very specific, detailed instructions about how they were to approach and how they were to offer the sacrifices. We read these stories, and in our minds, we may tend to think, isn't that a little bit severe? Isn't that a little bit harsh? Well, I suppose it depends on how you look at it. You see, God had given them very clear, very detailed instructions on what they were to do and how they were to approach. All they had to do was follow the instructions. And friends, I don't know what it is about the human condition that when we are given specific instructions, so often there seems to be something within us that wants to say, hmm, I wonder what it would be like or what would happen if I would deviate just a little bit from the instructions. There seems to be something within us that wants to 
push to the edge and say, I wonder how close I can get without falling off. And God is quick to communicate to his people through the book of Leviticus how important it is that they follow his instructions and his mandates in coming and in living, dwelling in proximity to God's holiness. This continues. You read through the Old Testament account about the the garb that the priests were supposed to wear. And they had little, uh, it, it, it was maybe somewhat decorative, but also uh, uh, there was a purpose. If you read about their garments, they had little bells around the hem of the garments of the high priests. One of my music professors in Bible college would say, and I, I believe he's right, that it was, it was to create music before the Lord when they came into His presence. But it was also for another purpose. It was for the people who were outside the Holy of Holies to hear as long as they could hear the priests moving around and they would hear those, those little bells jingling against one another. They would know that the priest was still safe and had not been stricken down in the presence of God in His holiness. They actually had a rope tied around his waist so that when he went in before the presence of the Lord, he went into uh, the Holy of Holies. If he was stricken down, they could, they could pull his body out without themselves having to go in and be exposed to God in his holiness. We know that Israel eventually became just as bad or worse than the inhabitants of the land that they uh, drove out before them. And, and uh, they worshipped the idols and even put their own children through the sacrificial fire to, to the, the false god Molech. And the Bible tells us that God actually divorced His people. The one that he had chosen for his own special possession, his bride, it says he, he, he gave them a bill of divorcement and sent them away because they had become so wicked and so impure. And as we think about this, the reality seems to be that the best thing about God, that is his holiness... And the worst things about us, our defilement and our impurity, are what keeps us separated and at a distance from God. Not able to come into His presence, not able to approach Him, unable to get too close. The Bible in different places teaches about God and His holiness and and, and his people being pure and impure. 
And as we work our way from this idea uh, of the holiness as it is uh, presented to us, God's holiness presented to us in Leviticus, and, and uh, try to transition through to uh, the season of Advent, one of the things that we see that's interesting, well, we see this especially in Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. I'm not going to take the time to read those verses, but I'm going to give you a, a, a modernized version of those verses. You can read it on your own if you want to, but you'll see uh, what it's saying easily enough. If you take dirty dishes and stack dirty dishes with the clean dishes, do the dirty dishes become clean because of their contact with the clean dishes, or do the clean dishes become dirty? Well, you know exactly what happens. Wouldn't it be great if you could stack the dirty with the clean you could just you could just put your dirty dishes right into the cabinet and the clean dishes there would transfer their cleanliness to all of the dirty dishes but it doesn't work that way does it no all of the all of the dirtiness transfers to what is clean and makes the clean dirty this is there is truth to this reality and this is the way the Pharisees operated. You remember those that were part of the strictest sect of the Jewish religion, and they devoted their lives to separating themselves from anything that was unclean or might defile them. And yet, throughout the scriptures, there are a number of places in even the Old Testament where we get somewhat of a different picture. In Isaiah chapter 6, we read about Isaiah's vision of God on his throne. And he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, these angelic creatures with six wings, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they covered their face, and with two they flew, and they hovered around the throne of God, each one calling to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. When Isaiah realized that he was too close to the sun, so to speak, he was in a place where he should not be. He was terrified, and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah knew what it meant for that which is unclean and defiled to come into the presence of absolute purity and absolute holiness. And he said, woe is me. 
But then something interesting happens. Verse 6 says, One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So rather than that which was impure and defiled, bringing defilement into the presence of a pure and holy God, it reversed itself. And the purity and the holiness of God brought purity and wholeness to Isaiah. In Ezekiel chapter 47, we read something similar, a different kind of a picture, but something similar. Here, Ezekiel sees a vision of water trickling out from under uh, the threshold, the, the doorway of the temple. And going eastward uh, with a measuring line, he begins measuring this water. And as the water flowed, it trickled. It gets deeper and deeper until uh, it's deep enough to wade in. And then it's up to his waist. And then it, it becomes a river deep enough to swim in. A river that could not be passed through. And as he saw the water flow, he saw on the banks of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And everywhere the water flowed, it brought life and health. Rather than the unclean making the clean dirty, you have purity flowing and spreading its influence and purifying and bringing life. We see this promise of purity coming to fruition, coming to fulfillment in the New Testament. When we read in Matthew chapter 3, again, the words of John the Baptist, he said he came to prepare the way. In Matthew chapter 3, you read about him preaching to the Pharisees. He was a fearless, powerful preacher of God's word. And he spoke to the Pharisees and said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then in verse 11 of Matthew 3, he said, I baptize you with water for, rep for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We see this throughout the Scriptures. In Luke chapter 7, verse 39, we read about a woman who comes to Jesus, a woman of ill repute. We would perhaps in our day call her a streetwalker or worse. And those religious people that were there observing and watching as this woman brought her, anoint, her uh, ointment and anointed uh, Jesus' feet, there the people looking on, uh, those religious ones, the Pharisees said, if he knew, if he were really a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this was and he would not allow himself to be defiled by her presence. And yet throughout the story of the life of Jesus, we see him allowing himself to come into contact with what the, the, the 
holy people of their day, the clean, the pure, Jesus allowed himself to come into contact with the impure and the defiled. And rather than the defilement spreading to Jesus and making Jesus unclean, it seemed as if his purity and his holiness came into their lives and contaminated, if you understand how I'm using this word, his purity contaminated their uncleanness and made them clean, made them pure. In Luke chapter 15, Verses 1 and 2, we read some of the worst criticisms that the Pharisees could make about Jesus was this man receives sinners and eats with them. Doesn't he know that he's going to become contaminated, become unclean? And yet, Jesus continued. And in Luke chapter 17, we read about Jesus coming into contact with the, with the most unclean people of his day. Those uh, that people, everyone would keep at a distance, the lepers. There we read about ten lepers who came to Jesus and they knew the rules. They knew that they could not get too close. And so it says that they stood at a distance and called out to him. They lifted their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus allowed himself, not, not as clearly in this story, but in other stories, Jesus allowed himself to come into close contact with the leper, and he even touched them. And rather than being defiled by their impurity, his purity made them clean and whole. You see, what they did not realize was the powerful influence of the purity of Jesus. Like the burning coal that touched Isaiah's lips, those that came into contact with Jesus and placed their faith in him found that their lives were forever changed, their sins forgiven, and their hearts made clean and whole. Like Ezekiel's vision of the river, Jesus spoke these words in John chapter 7 and verse 38. Beautiful words. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, the King James Version says, out of his belly or out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And rather than corruption and defilement that brings death, there is a purified source from within our hearts that brings life and peace. Oh, the wonderful promise of purity that comes because of Jesus Christ, because He came. If you are ever so privileged as to visit London, one of the places that you ought not to miss is Trafalgar Square. I've never been, but I hope to go someday. I am told that when you visit Trafalgar Square, one of the things that you cannot help but notice is the memorial to England's greatest naval hero, Admiral Lord Horatio Nelson. 
Nelson defeated the French and Spanish fleets off of Spain's southern coast in the year 1805, and in that battle he died and was later buried in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. In his memory, a column was raised. This column is nearly 200 feet tall. And a statue of Admiral Nelson is placed on top, a giant statue. And if you go there to see, you can see the scale, the people standing at the base of the statue. Uh, You have to crane your neck and look way up high to get a glimpse of the statue. And as you look, you might see and be able to tell that there's a figure of a man on top. But because it's so high, you cannot tell much about the features of Lord Nelson. But in 1948, someone decided to do something about that. They placed an exact replica of the statue of Lord Nelson at eye level, where it could be seen up close and appreciated by all the people. Lord Nelson essentially came down from atop the colossal column where the common man and woman could see him and appreciate his features and acknowledge what he did for their country. Friends, Christmas is about a time when God sent Jesus down from the heights of his holiness in heaven. A height that for us in our corruption and our defilement is unreachable and unattainable. And yet he came down to where we were. Like the songwriter said, he came to me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. Praise his name. And this action did not diminish God in his holiness. Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect and a sinless life. And he proved over and over again. And I believe he is still showing today that our corruption and our defilement, when we get close to him, it does not change God. Friends, men and women are still trying to bring God down to our level. That's, one, that's a totally different matter. We're bringing the corruption of humanity to to God, trying to make God more like man. Someone said that God created man in his own image and man very quickly returned the favor and tried to recreate God in our image. But friends, that's not necessary. God sent Jesus down to become one of us. He lived a perfect, sinless life and has shown through His powerful, purifying influence that He can forgive us of all of our sins. He can cleanse our hearts of all of its corruption and impurity and make us everything that He wants us to be. Praise God for the wonderful season of Christmas time when He came to make the unclean clean. Let's stand.